Welcome back to the most accurate podcast here for football. As always, I'm your host, John Daigle, joined today yet again by good friend in life, John Paulson. And Paulson, we are now about a week removed from your first run of projections. How is everything else going for you? I know you also have rankings breakdowns coming out at the site currently. Uh, yeah, I published three of the four. Uh, I need to start on receivers, but the other, you know, running backs, quarterbacks, and tight ends are all up. Uh, in the interim, I caught COVID and I'm just getting over it. So it's been an eventful seven to 10 days. Um, but, you know, we're heading into this is the kind of the, the part of the year where everything starts to sort itself out in terms of ADP and general consensus rankings. And you start to get some more solid data as to how these guys are going to go off the board so we can come up with our, our draft plan. So it's an interesting time of year. Interesting because also you would think it's the calm before the storm, but now with your projections laying the groundwork for the rest of us plebes, now we're getting the rest of the work out on the site with TJ Hernandez, best ball mania Bible, for instance. And this is on the cusp of the puppy, just releasing puppy number one that at $5 flat entry fee, I'm sure is going to feel quickly at underdog. And that then led me to also put out our top 250 rankings and CSV download. And we are going to discuss that because there are a few outliers, if not just questions, open-ended comments. I would love to get your thoughts on as I continue to jostle them. And then we'll continue to make weekly updates as we move throughout the offseason to sure everyone is ahead in roster building for upside in these large field tournaments. But first, we have some news to pick through because these things might matter to your projections. And I want to start with Daryl Williams, the mentor, signing on with the Cardinals, to what I believe, as I dug around for numbers, a one-year contract worth up to a reported $2.1 million. Of course, that's up to, right? That's not the exact numbers, and the exact numbers, the base salary, tends to matter more in these situations. But first off, I would love to get your thoughts on Daryl Williams essentially signing as James Conner's direct backup. Well, thank you for finding those numbers because I couldn't find any contract numbers yesterday. I think I it took a full luck. 48 hours. <laughs> They're not even on the first page of Google, which is saying something. Yeah. Uh, so that was one of the things I look at. I think a lot of people look at uh, how big of a contract are they signing that sort of can tell us, point us to how much the team values them uh, and what sort of role they might give him. Um, there, I have seen since the signing, I have seen people say that it doesn't matter to James Conner. And I've seen people say that it's a big deal for James Conner. And the reason is, is that Daryl Williams is so good in the passing game and so good in pass protection that it's going to infringe on Connor's three down role. And that, <clears throat> excuse me, that Daryl Williams will essentially take over the chase Edmonds role. And so whenever I see a narrative like that, I'd like to try to dig into the numbers and see if you can find, you know, a quantifiable way to, determine if Daryl Williams is really better than James Conner in the passing game. So I went over to my good friends, PFF. They have some different metrics there as far as pass blocking. And lo and behold, I found that Daryl Williams had a woeful 40.4 uh, pass blocking grade last year. Uh, Conner was first among uh, qualified running backs with an 89.1. Uh, they have a couple of different, that's just a pass blocking grade. Uh, I, I don't take grades as, uh, gospel, uh, but it's another data point for us to sort of look at when we're trying to determine if these narratives are true or false. They also also have a pass blocking efficiency report, which basically takes the number of pressures that they allowed divided by the number of pass blocking opportunities that they had, uh, and then put the, the players in order. 
And in those, in those reports, Williams was sort of middle of the pack. Uh, he gave up three pressures on 28 uh, pass blocking snaps last season. He was 35th out of 64 eligible running backs. Connor gave up three pressures on 75 attempts. So he was 12th out of 64. If you go back to 2020, Connor gave up uh, five pressures on 81 attempts. Williams gave up five pressures on 38 attempts. And then, okay, so that's the pass blocking aspect of it. I think Connor's better. You go back and you look at their yards per route run. You know, apparently Daryl Williams is a stellar receiver who gains all sorts of yards receiving. Um, but he was 26th in yards per route run last year with 1.28. Connor was 13th with 1.59 yards per route run. So to me, you know, Connor is the better ball carrier. Uh, I looked at those numbers too. I'm not going to go through them all. I think everybody can trust that Connor is better than Williams as a ball carrier. Um, but he's also better in the passing game. So long story short, I didn't really change his projections at all. Connor's I have him three spots high. I think of general consensus at RB 12 and half PPR. And I think he'll see a three down workload there. I think Daryl Williams is just going to be a, a straight backup. He'll be a change of pace. He will have some value if, if Connor were to get injured and, and Connor does get injured sometimes. So he does have some handcuff value and he's proved that when he is given a big workload that he can score some fantasy points. Not only the superior player, as you mentioned, in pass blocking, but overall, all these roles that Daryl Williams would logically soak up, the issue is he's roadblocked because, in my opinion, Connor's a superior player at all of them. Uh, in the passing game, you already mentioned, last year without CEH and six full starts, Daryl Williams did average five targets per game, 14 carries as well, but it was James Conner who averaged five and a half in his five starts for Chase Edmonds. Also, the fact that Daryl Williams led the team, Kansas City, with 14 carries inside the five last year, but it was Connor who only had fewer carries inside the five-yard line in the entire league than Jonathan Taylor. So all these pos all these roles that Williams would initially soak up, like they're just not available for him at all. So this news to me, and we talked about it in Slack, more or less makes Keontae Ingram, Eno Benjamin, those guys keep reaching for, everyone's reaching for, like the 18th round of best ball leagues. It, it makes those guys essentially worthless for fantasy, and that's Darrell Williams who will take on assuming James Conner misses time, since he still never played 16 or 17 games his entire career, uh, Darrell Williams would then take on that role instead as a workhorse, but not detrimental to Conner until that point in time. Yeah, and I think those other guys you mentioned, we just don't have much of a feel for them. Williams, we've seen for a couple of years now. We know what he can do. It just doesn't seem like the Cardinals want you know Benjamin to have a big role. They just continue to avoid him whenever, uh, whenever it's like, it seems like he might be due for a big role. Uh, and then the the rookie that they drafted. So if you believe if they, one of those guys is better than Daryl Williams, then you could maybe, and then you think that they're going to triumph over Williams in the preseason, then you could get a very cheap discount on them uh, right now. But, you know, to me, it looks like they're signing Williams to be Connor's backup. Another player that drafters have been up in arms about this past week is Antonio Gibson. Not only do we have Ron Rivera mentioning a potential committee, and citing the old days of Jonathan Stewart being a committee as well, in lieu of Brian Robinson and also J.D. McKissick, of course, in the passing game. But also, ESPN's John Kime wrote on Antonio Gibson that his touches should remain high, though his usage could vary weekly, which is essentially what we saw last year. Remember that month-long span where they were at least in competitive game script, so it made sense, but where Washington was essentially hammering Gibson for 30 touches per game as a very volatile option. So I'm curious to get your thoughts on Gibson now that the drumbeat keeps getting louder for essentially everyone but him in that backfield. Yeah, I mean, if you think about where we were when McKissick signed briefly with the Bills and 
that Gibson's workload would really be unlocked this year, you know, to his value possibly being top five, top eight, if they didn't really bring in another back to where we are now. You know, they, they McKissick decided to resign with Washington, kind of reneged on a deal with the Bills, and then they they drafted a, a rookie as well, good a good player apparently, uh, Robinson. Um, and you have Ron Rivera talking about Jonathan Stewart and D'Angelo Williams. And it's not just those two. You have McKissick thrown in as a third. Like, it, it, it's getting really ugly. Uh, Gibson averaged 19 touches in 11 games uh, with McKissick, 19.4 touches in five games without McKissick. But the key there is that his targets increased from 2.7 with McKissick to 4.4 uh, without McKissick in the lineup. Receptions rose 2.4 to 3.2. His half-point PPR points per game rose from 12.3 to 14.5. So you're basically looking at a middle-of-the-road RB2 with McKissick to a middle-of-the-road RB1 without McKissick. But now you have McKissick back, you have Brian Robinson back, and you have the head coach talking about a committee and, you know, hearkening back to the days of James or Jonathan Stewart and uh, D'Angelo Williams, where that was a pretty even split. So, you know... People are saying, oh, he's going to still touch the ball a lot, but not if they're really trying to get these other guys involved. It's not going to be pretty. So I have him as a low-end RB2. I think he's in that 20 to 24 range. Um, has some upside if there's any injuries there, but you know the offense is not going to be good enough to support you know two or three fantasy running backs and have them all be, be doing good work. Um, so I, I'm worried about this based on all the narrative here around this uh, you know Jonathan Stewart, D'Angelo Williams stuff. And – if underdog were PPR, it's half PPR, of course, I would be more focused on grabbing McKissick late because he's essentially going overlooked. That's why I'm grabbing him at drafters, for instance. That is PPR. But overall, like for me, this tells me to worry about Antonio Gibson more so than grab anyone else or prioritize anyone else in a half PPR league, for instance. Like, do you know how average you have to be to fail to record a career? yards per carry over five at Alabama. You have to go all the way back to 2007 and look at something called Terry Grant to reach that point. And that's what Brian Robinson, uh, quote unquote, accomplished there. So I'm not so much worried about Brian Robinson as a standalone option in the last round as I am that he is the bigger archetype that will take from Gibson inside the 10-yard line. And that's what I'm worried about. So that's why I think we properly pushed Gibson down, although believing in his talent overall, not the situation though. Well, yeah, you, when you have a running back, you have two different types of money touches, and those are the red zone carries where you can score touchdowns, and those are receptions. And you have McKissick eating into his receptions, and you might have Robinson eating into his uh, goal line carries. So it's just not doesn't leave Gibson with a whole lot of fancy uh, scoring opportunity. I mentioned us being in Slack together, and you also reached out very giddily and said, you moved Trey Lance up in our projections. He is higher now. I'm curious where you moved him up to and your reasoning behind it, since we do have a lot of recent news on Jimmy Garoppolo potentially being traded as well. Yeah, this came from the Kyle Shanahan himself saying that Garoppolo would be traded soon. Uh, so it seems to me that Kyle Shanahan has either bought in or he's accepted the situation or maybe he wants this i don't know but it, it seemed like it, we talked about it, i think last week where it seemed to me that kyle shanahan was the last one on board with the trey lance thing and that's an important person to have on board if you're gonna make a quarterback switch like this and he's saying that it looks like garoppolo garoppolo will be traded soon 
Um, so that tells me that Trey Lance is going to be the starter week one, which maybe a lot of other people out there have been screaming at me. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. And yeah, I, I agree with it. But I also thought that the fact that Jimmy Garoppolo is still on the roster would be uh, dangerous to, to Trey Lance's security if he got off to a slow start. I think I mentioned that last week as well. Like A bad September might lead them to switch back to Garoppolo. Um, as for Trey Lance, this is a, he's a dicey one to to try to evaluate because we don't have much data on him as a passer in, in the league. He did get a couple of starts last year and they went okay. Um, you know, kind of some highs and some lows. He is going to run the ball a lot. So he doesn't actually have to be that great of a real world quarterback throwing the ball. If he's going to run for 35, 40 yards a game and get the commensurate touchdowns that go along with it. Uh, but he's also has the benefit of playing in an offense that traditionally gets 7.8, 8.0, 8.2 yards per attempt, highly efficient. Uh, he's got George Kittle, Debo Samuel, in theory, that the Debo Samuel situation is something to monitor here. Uh, Brandon Ayuk is pretty good. Jawan Jennings is pretty good. So he's got some um, weapons as, as, uh, in the passing game. So it's a good situation for him. So I moved him up ahead of uh, Matthew Stafford because Stafford is, is – you know, he has 40 touchdown upside, but doesn't run the ball at all. Doesn't offer anything really as a runner. Um, I think between those two, you're going with the safe top. You could you have the choice of the safe option with Stafford, or you could shoot for the guy that really does have top five upside with Trey Lance if everything breaks his way. And he proves to be uh, a better passer than maybe what we think at this point. Um, you know, above him, Aaron Rodgers at 10, Dak Prescott at 11. I'm not ready to to move him ahead of those two. I think those are two really good fantasy quarterbacks, Russell Wilson at nine, Joe Burrow at eight. These are proven guys that have done it year in and year out. I'm not ready to make that move yet. Um, but I think at 12, he's a pretty solid uh, player to add as, you know, the last, if you're in these underdog drafts or if you're in a regular redraft at this point, he's the last, maybe the last, uh, you're the last, let me put it this way. You, you're, you're the last team to add a quarterback and you can add Trey Lance to a team that's stacked at running back, wide receiver and tight end. And that's a, you know, a guy like this is a pretty powerful person to add to the roster. And that's important to note because Stafford, currently an underdog, is going ahead of Aaron Rodgers and Trey Lance. So for our top 250, for example, for tournaments, I do have Rodgers and Lance, per your projections, ahead of Stafford. But I still try to keep them within 10 picks of their current ADP because that lets us not only get ahead of Stafford, but also still not reach for these two individuals who we have projected higher. And that explanation right there, we'll get into more after the break here in a second. But I essentially had to do that for 250 players and say, okay, if Paul Satire or this guy, but also we don't want to reach, how do I maneuver all these players, which why it took a whole week to get to. But nonetheless, it's up now for everyone for download. And finally, for some quick off-season tidbits still happening in OTAs, I want to discuss Jameis Winston. Someone we talked about also last week and wanting to be ahead of. But after our discussion, you went ahead and moved even higher in your rankings. So go ahead and walk us through that process there for your projections. Yeah, I had him uh, at 20, and I was looking at the two players ahead of him, Justin Fields and Ryan Tannehill, who are, I would say, not having the greatest off-seasons when it comes to uh, receivers coming in and out of their respective uh, receiver rooms and, and offensive line personnel as well. Just yeah. situation around them. Really? Yeah. Like fields is situations getting is pretty ugly and uh, Tannehill's is not bad. I think he's going to have a decent year. I, you know, they, they added Robert Woods and um, you know, they drafted a good rookie there as well. So um, I just don't think that his level of weapons matches uh, Jameis Winston's now that they've added uh, Jarvis Landry to Chris Olave and Michael Thomas and 
Uh, they've got a really good receiving running back and Alvin Kamara. So, and then you start looking at some of Winston's uh, efficiency numbers, and he was really on a per play per pass basis really sharp last year. Uh, maybe not the most accurate quarterback, but his his air yards are up there. Uh, threw a lot of touchdowns relative to the number of pass attempts he. So they you know they let him throw it when they're in the red zone, and uh, I think he's got as we've seen in his past, we've, he's got top five upside. I think he definitely has QB one upside. So, you know, you get out of, you get out of the top 12 and you start looking at these guys, you know, Deshaun Watson, who has a whole nother headache going on with him, Derek Carr, Kirk Cousins, Tua Tagovailoa. You've got, you know, some guys that are, you know, solid producers, but you're not so sure about them. Winston is a guy that has that upside that could spring him in the top 10. How much, because this pertains to Wilson reportedly per Nick Underhill limping around OTAs, how much do you weight injuries right now in OTAs, knowing we're still a month and a half out of camp? Because like it's not just Winston. It is Kadarius Tony, for example, has an injury right now. Uh, James Washington randomly showed up in a walking boot. And there are so many other instances of player that right now are injured, projected to be injured for like a couple of weeks is their timeline. Does that not really like matter to you? Do you just overlook it? Because I tend to just blanket statements say, if this doesn't trail into week one, or if it's not expected to trail into week one, I don't think you should jostle ADP too much at this time. I didn't see the wins that Winston was limping around. I saw a report that he did almost everything at the OTAs. Um, and with quarterbacks, I don't worry too much about the ACL tear. Uh, his also happened fairly early in the season relative to, you know, Michael Gallup or somebody who, who tore his ACL, or Chris Godwin who tore his ACL uh, late in the season. Um, so yeah, unless there unless there's one of these recoveries that might take them into you know August September, I'm not too worried about their availability for Week One. Well, let's take a quick break, and we'll be right back to dive into our outliers for our recent released Underdog Top 250. Right now, if you sign up at Underdog as a new subscriber, not only will you receive a free pro subscription to 4 for 4 with access to all of our off-season content, including our around-the-clock Discord conversations, Underdog will also match your deposit up to $100 by 100%. Literally mirror it. And there are no catches. Just download the Underdog app, use the promo code 4 for 4 when depositing. That's the number 4, word, the number again, and presto. It is a very big week here for four because as mentioned, the underdog top 250 tool is now live on the site. And what it took behind the scenes was essentially taking your projections, Paulson, matching it with TJ Hernandez best ball research, a six column series that everyone should go to the site and read up for free right now. Also week 17 projections and over unders since we try to put ourselves in the best position possible in May to win if we are lucky enough to get into that position in large field best ball tournaments, not to mention current ADP, which is all over the place. And so for reference, let's start with Ezekiel Elliott, because for instance, your projections have him as the RB15 overall, one spot ahead of Saquon Barkley as the RB16. But Barkley's current average draft position of 26.8, so essentially the third round turn on underdog, is we're is higher than Zeke because he's currently being drafted 14 spots behind Barkley at 40.8. So what I did for further explanation is take our for our top 250 rankings is basically tell everyone in CSV form that per TJ Hernandez research that highlights drafting at least two workhorse running backs by round three for optimal lineup building, 
via the data from past Best Ball Manias. We believe you should be drafting Barkley ahead of Tyreek Hill, A.J. Brown, Josh Allen, Keenan Allen, for example, which he's not being drafted ahead of right now. And then if you are drafting Barkley accordingly, since we have Elliott projected one spot higher, still higher, then you should also be drafting Elliott ahead of these players. And so I'm curious to get your thoughts on Elliott in general and if you're comfortable with having him and Barkley, for instance, in that range since we are essentially passing on the receivers that the field believes should be taking ahead of these workhorse running backs. Yeah, these are two interesting – this is an interesting case. And it's uh, you, you mentioned Barkley, and I was actually preparing for this podcast and uh, – think that this is a very interesting debate between these two players because you have Elliot who's in a really good offense and pretty good offensive line. And, you know, he was pretty solid to start the year last year. He apparently tore his PCL in week four and played through it all year. Um, Ian Hartitz made a good point that he's being dinged for playing through his injuries. Whereas, you know, somebody like Derrick Henry who couldn't play through his injuries gets a pass because he sat out for half the season whereas Elliot played poorly through his injuries and they, you know, they tried to lighten his load as well. So how much of that is going to translate to this season when, you know, 2021 might just be 2021. And that's what they had to do that last year to get Elliot through the season. I think what makes me worried about Elliot is that uh, he had a career low in carries, even though he played 17 games, but the injuries played a part in that his yard per carry the last two seasons, 4.2, 4.0, we're well off of his 4.62 yards per carry from 2016 to 2019. So it does, he is showing some signs of slowing down, but also we have the injury last year. Uh, you have a really good running back in Tony Pollard who has proven to be explosive and to be basically a fantasy RB1 whenever Elliott is out. Uh, he's looming. The team may want to shift gears if Elliott is not producing as much as they would like early in the year. Uh, they might make go to more of a split, whereas somebody like Saquon Barkley doesn't have that worry. There's nobody behind him that's going to eat in tw 10, 12, 14 touches uh, like Pollard would. So, but you know, at the same time, Zeke's still 27. Uh, he's turning 27 in July, so he should still be in his prime. He should, this is almost too soon for him to be really past the prime of his career, where you're expecting him to start to fade. You know, around age 30 or 29. So, um, I think you, I think this is an interesting debate. I think. Barkley, on the on the flip side, you, you can look at the Giants' offensive line last year. It was terrible. They're making some strides trying to improve that. That's the big thing for me. I, as the last four or five years have uh, transpired, I have been looking more and more into the offensive lines because you just find that when the offensive lines are poor, it's very difficult for a running back to have to out you know outkick expectations basically and to do better than what they were expecting or even live up to expectations. So the, the better the offensive line, the better the, the running back pick in general, all things all else being equal. So you sort of have to see how that uh, Giants offensive line comes together, but you have a new coaching staff as well. Uh, Brian Dable uh, sort of encouraged there. Um, but as of right now, I think Elliot, they're planning to run the ball. Uh, Pollard's a backup, but pretty heavily involved, but you're still going to see Elliot with 17 to 20 touches. Uh, per game, and that makes him a pretty good pick there, in the certainly in the fourth round, but probably in the third round as well. And in those first five games when he was still at full health, Zeke still out-touched Tony Pollard, 19 touches per game to Pollard's 13, uh, and still 
obviously got the carry inside the five-yard line. Uh, Pollard will never take that role. Pollard also a pending free agent who they're most likely not going to re-sign. I don't think it's even in the cards. And so, yeah, all these things weigh in. If he's healthy, though, I do still think he's a value. And right now, at the 46 ADP I mentioned, uh, it's very easy to get him ahead of the field. Maybe I'll joss him a little bit, but I think sticking him with Saquon Barkley, honestly, is about right. Another situation for drafting purposes I want to talk to you about is Kyle Pitts because we do have Pitts projected as the tight end three, which is how he's positionally being valued on underdog right now. But we only have him projected with three more fantasy points than Darren Waller, for example, as the tight end four, four more points than George Kittle as the tight end five, and five more points than Dalton Schultz right behind all. Whereas drafters right now are taking Pitts at the back of the third round, on average at 31 overall, then leaving a wide gap to the next closest group of tight ends with Waller at 42 and Kittle at 46. So what I did was make the executive decision to close the gap for us and say you should not be taking Pitts in this range because missing out on him is not so detrimental that the current gap to the next tight end is this valid. And have instead moved, for example, Michael Pittman, Lamar Jackson, Marquise Brown, Deontay Johnson, a bunch of other players ahead of Pitts, saying we value these players more than thinking Pitts is that much better than the next group of players at his position. What are your thoughts on Pitts and that decision? Yeah, I mean, I think Pitts is a really good player. He had one of the best rookie tight end seasons of all time. I think he was unfairly knocked based on the fact that he only, I think he only caught one touchdown. Uh, just had some bad touchdown luck and played on a bad offense with Atlanta. I don't know that the offense is going to be any better this year, and that's sort of the you know the result of the pro- of the projection. I think I have him, uh, yeah, I have him projected for three point eight touchdowns. So that's obviously not what you want out of your tight end one if you're drafting him in the second or third round. You're you're hoping for more, and he certainly is capable of having a better season. But I don't know that the quarterback play is going to be any better than it was last year. Matt Ryan is still pretty solid. They got Marcus Mariota in there. Uh, they, they drafted a rookie as well. Uh, so uh, I'm just not super bullish on Pitt's situation. Uh, Drake London is going to be there as well. A lot of targets going to him. I don't, I'm not worried about Pitt's targets. I just, the quality of those targets and the resulting fantasy points, I think, is the concern. And then you look at the position as a whole, and that's sort of why I have him ranked this way, is that it's not worth the opportunity cost at another position in order to get pits when you can get a Dalton Schultz, uh, you know, for two or three rounds later, or even any of these other upside tight ends. I'm sure we're going to talk about this summer uh, in the double digit rounds, the ninth, tenth, eleventh rounds, where you can get some guys that might end up outscoring pits or at least coming close. Because that's the big question: is these stud tight ends are they worth it? over the field when you, you you know, you're looking at your opportunity cost. And I don't think in the case of Pitts, it's a no brainer. I think Andrews and Kelsey, sure. They've got good quarterback situations. They've, they're proven track records, tons of targets. Um, I think Pitts is, you know, Pitts, his quarterback situation is dicey. Darren Waller uh, has a good situation, but Devonte Adams, you're adding 140 to 160 targets to Devonte Adams. So it's going to affect Waller. Kittle's got a Trey Lance, situation quarterback change are they going to run more are they going to throw the ball as much as they did which wasn't very much last year um so there's lots of question marks there with that second tier of of tight ends and i think that's what makes some of these later guys uh, more appealing this year and we do have 
Andrews and Kelsey in that precise order ranked accordingly. It's funny you mentioned the drop-off, though, at tight end because there's another player, another tight end in particular I want to talk to you about, and that's TJ Hawkinson because we have Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard projected ahead of TJ Hawkinson. But not only are drafters currently selecting Hawkinson ahead of those two, they're doing so at a wide margin with a 79 ADP and then glossing over Goddard basically for two more rounds until 93 and Ertz all the way back at 109. So I would love to hear your thoughts on Hawkinson and if my decision yet again to move him behind players that I wanted ahead of him like Tyler Lockett, CEH, Dak Prescott, Damian Harris, et cetera, was warranted. Yeah, and I don't. I think you look at Hawkinson from a talent standpoint, I don't think that he's like clearly ahead of Zach Ertz or Dallas Goddard, number one. So you're just looking at it from a talent standpoint. I think these they're all similar players. Uh, Zach Ertz has a better quarterback situation with Kyler Murray. Dallas Goddard, you could argue, you know, Jalen Hurts, Jared Goff from a passing standpoint. I don't know. Not not a huge difference there, probably. Just more pass attempts perhaps available for uh, Hawkinson in the Detroit offense. But you have Amon Ross St. Brown emerging as a kind of a go-to player once Hawkinson went down. Jamison Williams has been added to the mix. DJ Chark has been added to the mix. Of course, uh, DeAndre Swift is going to soak up a lot of targets at, at uh, running backs. So if all these guys are healthy, and I know Williams, Jamison Williams is, you know, week one maybe not going to be able to play but you know when he comes back it's it's just going to be tough to feed all the all the mouths that are there in, in Detroit so that's I think that's my concern with Hawkinson so I just don't I don't have him ranked as a you know normally I think going into last year I might have had him in the top five or six and I think he was in that second you know the bottom end of that second tier maybe the top end of the third tier and I think this year you just look at that group, Dalton Schultz, Ertz, Goddard, Hawkinson, Knox. And is it that much different than Albert O and Noah Fant and David Njoku and Hunter Henry and, and these other tight ends that are available, you know, when you get into the double-digit rounds? So I think that's sort of why I have him ranked where they are. And, you know, there, he's only one point behind Goddard and two points behind Ertz. So if you really are a Hawkinson fan, go ahead and take him. I'm not going to argue with anybody about that. I'm not going to try to talk you out of him if you're a big Hawkinson fan. But I, I would, you know, given the choice of both, all those guys in the eighth round, I probably would take them in that order, Ertz, Goddard, and, and Hawkinson right now. I will argue against it for six men, six team leagues in particular, because what I'm noticing is not only since I've been harping on it, more people are playing and DMing me and also being in the same freaking leagues as me and leaping me for Brandon Cooks in particular, but also since everyone's now joining and being on board the hashtag we won't win 2 m train and playing more six team leagues to make up for that $2 million. We aren't going to win a best ball mania. Then right now, TG Hawkins is leaving a bit of a drop off and people will like think that's the best option and grab him. But since we have Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard, as I mentioned earlier ahead of him, I will just say in six team leagues in particular, if you're playing those with me, leave Hawkinson on the board, wait, because Goddard just sits there essentially till the 15th, 16th round, start him as your tight end one. I like to leave those drafts with three tight ends, ideally with Gronk as my tight end three, because I do believe he's coming back. But moving on to another player that I bumped well ahead of current underdog ADP, and that's Chase Claypool. Because simply put, you have him as your wide receiver 36 overall, whereas the field at underdog has egregiously put him at wide receiver 52 and are currently drafting him in the 10th round. So I split the difference, raked him as wide receiver 44, knowing that we are still a round or two ahead of ADP. And although we have him projected higher than wide receiver 44, this spot, we can still draft him always and not reach too far in that scenario. So your thoughts on Chase Claypool, uh, as well as Deontay Johnson while we're here. 
Yeah, I mean, I think Chase Claypool is a good player. I think he didn't have a, a very good year. Matt Harmon wrote about it. Uh, some of it was on him uh, not developing as a route runner as maybe Matt thought he would heading into this year. And uh, But he still finished with 59 uh, catches for 860 yards. Uh, he only had the two touchdowns, so that's sort of why his fantasy finish was not – you know, he's, he's a guy that should be catching six to eight probably. Um and he only had two. So it's sort of a similar situation as the pits as everybody's down on him because he didn't catch some touchdowns, but touchdowns, as we know, are not as sticky as catches and yards. And, you know, Juju Smith Schuster's out of the way. Now they added George Pickens. They have a quarterback change and we're, we're really kind of guessing with this, you know, we're guessing with all these teams, but we're really guessing when they have, a, there's a quarterback change and you're changing a receiver and how this offense is going to look. I mean, I don't know who Kenny Pickett or Mitch Trubisky is going to, um, choose to be his, you know, go-to or go their go-to receivers, you know, probably Deontay Johnson. He just gets open at will. I think he's a safe pick. And then, you know, Pickens or uh, Claypool, it, you know, it could go either way. So right now I think, you know, Claypool is the established player. I give I favor, tip the hat to him. And if if Pickens is coming in with all these great stories and not from OTAs and offseason uh, you know, training camp, then you start to – narrow the gap between uh, Claypool and, and Pickens. So that's sort of where I'm at with Claypool. I think he's it's certainly in best ball. I think he's got more upside than what he showed last year. And, you know, having a, you know, a hundred yard touchdown and a, and a touchdown type day, uh, the type of player you want type of receiver you want for those five, six big weeks uh, each year. And hopefully you can have uh, more of those this season. And finally, I want to end with two players on the opposite end of the spectrum that basically we can't get right now because the projections are so low on them and everyone else is treating them as gold that they are pushed far down the board. And that is Sky Moore, currently underdog, wide receiver 39 overall with an 82 ADP, ranked ahead of players like Brandon Ayuk, Cordero Patterson, Dak Prescott, Kenneth Walker, and Tyler Lockett. Tyler Lockett, by the way, seems to be a consistent in all these arguments when I think it's just easy enough to say it's Tyler Lockett. Just take him ahead of these guys. And then Miko Hardman as the wide receiver 58, even though our projections have him as the wide receiver 73 for half PPR scoring. Uh, I am guessing, Paulson, it's because you have the three wide receiver set locked in, at least two starting guys for Juju Smith-Schuster and Marcus Valdez-Scanling in that order? Yeah, and this is a tough one, too, because you've mm -hmm. got Travis Kelsey at tight end, and he's going to take a big piece of the pie. Uh, so then you you have Juju and you have Marcus Valdez-Scanling, who they gave a huge contract to Valdez-Scanling. You know, I don't even know that Juju Smith-Schuster, I mean, he, his contract was not very big, so I don't know what sort of role they're expecting for him. He does have a pretty good resume and probably will be starting and playing a lot. And I, they certainly, when you look at McCole Hardman, they have really been reluctant to commit to him with any sort of consistent role. And I don't know what the deal is there, but he played behind Byron Pringle and Demarcus Robinson uh, last year and would be rotated in occasionally. He'd pop in with a 70% snap share, but not frequently enough. And he, yes, he's extremely fast, but he does not run routes like Tyree Kill does. So he can't just replace Tyree Kill. And I think that's why they brought in MBS is to replace a lot of those routes that Tyreek Hill runs deep. So what is left? And what is what is left to me is really within the skill set of Sky Moore, who is a good route runner and does have good speed, even though it doesn't have Michael Hardman speed. He does have 4-4 speed and can run a lot faster than Juju. So I think he can add some things. So I do have more third of that group and then Hardman fourth, but it's just 
this is the this is the problem with and i guess the blessing of doing full projections is you can't if you if you had everybody ranked where people are drafting them then you know patrick mahomes would be having the, the greatest quarterback season in the history of time because <laughs> these guys can't all produce these numbers uh relative to their adp um so it does create some of these situations where I'm 20 spots low on a guy or 20 spots high on a guy because I've gone through this whole projections process. Another player, by the way, we basically can't get right now. It may break your heart, but it's Christian Watson because he's also going actually he's going 70 spots ahead on underdog of right now where I put him on the list, but like I put him on the list even higher than your projections just thinking, okay, well, if he drops five rounds, I guess it's good ADP then. You could take him. But, yeah, Christian Watson also, like, basically we are saying do not draft him right now, for well, better or worse. Yeah, and this is – that that's an interesting situation as well because you have a highly drafted player that's pretty, you know, pretty raw according to most of the scouts and the critics. And he's going into the maybe the best situation in the league, arguably the best situation in the league. But they have a lot of dudes. They've got Al Nazard, who's going to get 600 or 700 yards. If Sammy Watkins stays healthy or is healthy for 10 or 12 games, he could 500 to 700 yards is within his uh, range of outcomes. Randall Cobb could do 500 to 700 yards. Amari Rogers is back. Rogers uh, is also getting the obligatory training camp, best shape of his life uh, regards out of Packers camp right now. Amari Rogers is? Yeah, Rogers is, yeah. Uh, they got Romeo Dubes too, and he's, you know, Got some uh, people that like him as well. So I want to see how this shakes out. I'm not going to be all over Watson until I hear that he is doing great. Like, is picking it up faster than he expected. He's run, his route running is better than expected. Rodgers loves him. They're connecting left and right. That's when I start thinking of him as an 800, 900 yard, you know, wide receiver one type. Um, and I just don't know that's going to happen at the start of the season. Now, he might, he might finish strong, but, you know, in September, I'm not expecting him. Uh, to be a fantasy starter for you unless you know the offseason really gets hot you know we'll see how it goes and that type of news is what training camp is for but until then we'll be back every single week with updates like these for our projections and rankings and would appreciate it of course if you rate and review and subscribe to the podcast helps out a ton but until then paulson what else do you have coming out this weekend for everyone well, I'm working on, and I'm interested to get your thoughts on it too, because I've, I've been publishing these every year for the last three or four years, but I look at all the free agent signings uh, on the defensive side of the ball and on the offensive line to see who's invested in the offensive line, who's investing in the defense. Uh, and I'm, in looking at the monetary output for each team, um, I think is an interesting way to look at the talent that's being either added or subtracted from these units defensive units or offensive line units so once i have that data up i'll i'll, sh I'll share it with you john and maybe we can talk about it on the podcast because that's another another way that i don't think anybody else is doing it uh but basically compiling all those free agent signings and trying to ascertain how that's going to affect the fantasy defense or uh offensive line units so um that's the, my next set of tasks i also need to uh do a wide receiver breakdown as i alluded to earlier so those three those three are coming up probably next week I like the idea, and not only because we have two months of shows to fill. So, have a safe holidays, everyone, and until then, we'll see you next week for more updates.